Hello, I'm Ben Harmon, the Director of Stills, a Centre for Photography based in Edinburgh and a registered charity. You're listening to Photography Down the Line, a series of conversations with artists and photographers that we're in touch with to discuss and share their ideas. To learn more about Stills and to support our work, please visit stills.org. Thank you for listening. Hello, am I speaking to Sir Kalisa Continen? Yes, you are. Yeah, hello, Ben. Hi, it's so nice to have you on here, Sirka. Um, where are you, and um, and what what might I be interrupting with this with this call? I am in Tynemouth. I'm actually in my own home, in as it happens, in self isolation, and that is because I had a brief. Uh, uh, walk on the beach with a friend who then turned out to be uh, COVID oh. positive. So yes, I have been ordered to self-isolate and that's lasting till this uh, Saturday. All um, right. So you're coming to the end of a sort of two week, two week period or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So I'm testing out the test and, uh, and <laughs> track test and uh, <laughs> whatever trace system yeah they're very efficient with me they keep checking every every two days but i'm still sticking to the rules is, th is that through an app or no they um they ring me up oh right okay oh i got my orders first of all uh on, in an email yeah no i mean it's not changing my life hugely the only thing is i can't go swimming which oh. <laughs> which um uh, have been sadly missing. Yeah, is that sea swimming? Yeah, I swim every every morning normally. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. In the sea around the year. That's yeah. that's fantastic. There's a, there's a nice even through through these podcasts we've been doing. There's a there's a sea swimming um, theme developing. <laughs> yeah. Better term. Well, I was, I was talking to Chloe D. Matthews about it when I spoke to her. I'm not sure if you if you know her or her work. Um, um, based down on the south southeast coast of England, and she's a keen sea swimmer as well. Um, and it, of course, it happens a lot in, here in Edinburgh as well. And I know I know a few photographers who spend a lot of time in the sea every day. Oh well, that's obviously uh, the remedy for against all ills. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm feeling absolutely brilliant at the moment. I also started um, taking surfing lessons. Oh, fantastic. Um, recently, so I'm, I'm certainly going to make the most of the sea. Have you, back to it. have you been spending more time, a lot more time outdoors since, since March, since during the lockdown and since that period when we were all, all in, inside more or less? Well, I'm very fortunate to have a garden as well, so I really yeah. uh, got to know every single blade of grass in it by now, and <laughs> every, every so often I just shift things around and, and buy a plant or two on the internet, and <laughs> I'm certainly uh, connecting with nature big time, and when I'm free again, I will, I will have a new awareness of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And in, and in terms of your 
your work, your artwork and your um, involvement with the Amberside Collective, um, Film and Photography Collective, how, how has that been over the last six months? Um, have you been, have you, have you managed to be quite active and have you adapted like, like everyone else has had to? Yes, we certainly have. And a lot of our activities then moved to um, online uh, platforms. Um, we'd, we'd just been running um, the second season of the um, Offside Cinema. This is uh, the side gallery, uh, side cinema, uh, which normally happened both on the, on the premises and the quayside in Newcastle. And uh, during, the, during the lockdown, we have run seasons of films and the current one is actually um, uh, screening one of our own films which has just been finished called What Happened Here. It's a film about uh, the Easington Colliery Village um, minor strike in 1984 when we first uh, engaged with the community there with photographers who we commissioned and, and our own filmic work. And since then uh, have kept in touch through feature films and documentaries over the years and now have returned just a year ago to um, to see how the community have changed and what they are saying about themselves now and this was a kind of national trust uh, commission that we got a small commission to to make a film um, so this is actually being uh, premiered um, on Thursday night on the if you go to the Amber website you you find the link there you can book a free free ticket for 24 hours you can view the film and then Thursday evening seven o'clock we have a conversation with the filmmakers and the uh, community of Easington uh, people from the community and the audience so it's like a live uh, Q&A and conversation um, so it's a whole season of films uh, based on protest. And this is the last one of the season. So um, that's one thing uh, that some members in the uh, group have been totally engaged with. Mm. Um, we have had other things happening in the meantime. We have, we've had uh, like uh, call outs for, uh, on the Instagram for um, like uh, Instagram takeovers. One was with, by the Lungs Project, and and there's a photographer called Liz Hingley who's been uh, uh, creating uh, work through Instagram with responses to the bare necessities now and our nature now projects. Again, very much about how nature has nurtured people and what their relationship is with nature due to the um, lockdown circumstances. Um, yeah, we've had exhibitions online with um, uh, actually it's been really um, interesting to be um, pushed a bit further onto using all these other platforms um, because we've been very much kind of physically based gallery and cinema which will still obviously uh, continue. We've got an exhibition by Tom Stoddard's uh, Extraordinary Women which opened last week Yes. Or in, in situ, but it's good to have these online uh, online audiences, which are obviously from all over the world. Yeah. 
to connect with the work and in, in especially in the conversations that um, we've had um, with them. It's really exciting because, uh, yeah, the work is and continues to be available. Even the work that we created like 50 years ago, it's still being kept alive um, this way. New audiences, younger, younger people. Yes, I imagine, I imagine a lot more people from around the world are now looking at the, the Amberside website, which is amber-online.com, I think is the website. I was having a look at it today. It's an amazing resource there. It's, there's so much you can, you can get into there from the archive, the films, and it must be, yeah, it's brilliant that, like you say, with, migrating a lot of work online and all these broadening all our audiences and they're becoming much more international um, and interesting in a way because stills opened a few weeks ago as well that our audiences in the gallery for the time being have kind of done the opposite I think they've become very very local I don't know if that's the same at side gallery whether that's been a noticeable thing but um, we feel like that's what's happening at stills at the moment um, and I really look forward to seeing the Tom Stoddard exhibition. I hope to get down before the mid-December, I think is when it's it runs it's to. 13th, yes. Yeah. Um, so we've also um, just been giving the Cultural Recovery Fund uh, from the Arts Council. So that enables us to keep the gallery open more hours and have more, more um, people doing things there and, and engaging in other projects that um, yeah. we have we have been uh, <laughs> we have we are up up for uh, investment so yeah that was fantastic news we just had it yesterday good good that is really good news yeah and for myself i've just been uh, um, working on talking about revisiting um not just for the audience is revisiting our work but also i'm i have now been revisiting my own work in that um people have been getting in touch who are photographed in the 70s and 80s and with really interesting kind of responses to the work that i've done uh with them and uh and totally up for having a, a kind of update on their lives so there's now the fourth film in the making three short films already have been made um, from the different projects um, of mine and this this latest one is about the space hopper girl on the space hopper yes yeah and it's it's turning out to be an ongoing story in the sense that there isn't just the one <laughs> who has been verifiably the, the girl on the space shuttle, but there's two that we have filmed so far and we are not sure that either is the one because there have been another two <laughs> claiming to be a... So it's becoming more a film about um, the meaning of a photograph to people who want to take possession of it as their self-portrait or, or uh, you know, expressing something about their spirit um, mm. that they want to hang on to and um, yeah that, that has been becoming a very interesting journey into into the nature of photography and the possibilities of photography to nail something that we um, 
we all want to um, identify with or get get um, inspiration from or nurture our spirit or whatever. I, I know art can do art does that for me personally as well. So I totally um, mm. recognize this. Yes, yeah. this, this kind of symbolic, um, almost symbolic importance of, of art in our lives. And the the girls or women now that came forward um, saying they they think they they are the the girl on the space hopper was that a result of um, were you quite proactive in trying to find them was it the result of um, a a call out for people to come forward if they recognised themselves in the pictures. No, <laughs> no, it didn't <laughs> happen like that. No, it was really um, total surprise that um, the first one actually turned up with her family, with her mother and sister and nephew uh, at the side gallery looking for the biker book and started talking to the uh, front of desk person about them actually being in the book. Mm. And uh, then they were guided upstairs where I was working uh, at my desk. And uh, there we had that reunion. There was the first, um, and I still think might have been the one, the <laughs> very one. Uh, <laughs> and then um, the idea of actually um, doing a catch-up story and, and the curiosity, natural curiosity about how, how the, their lives have turned out then sort of became the seed for this film. But then there were other people, people were basically starting to get in touch with me who I'd photographed when they were children. Yeah. Who were now in their sort of late fifties maybe. And they came back to me from several projects. And I think the fact that we have a website and people have a way of contacting me through Facebook or whatever, yeah. Um, so we ended up with three other stories, one from just the um, second-hand uh, scrap dealers in Pike, one of them who confessed he'd probably been, been the one who destroyed my darkroom there, you know, <laughs> who, who actually, uh, you know, when Pike was being pulled down and mm -hmm. becoming derelict, they basically emptied every empty shop mm -hmm. and uh, my studio and darkroom kind of fell into that convenient category and they, they cleared everything out with his mates and so anyway we got one story from them about what it was being uh, what it was like being in bike as a child when when it was all being uh, uh, pulled down and, and redeveloped and it was actually a great time for the kids then because they had such a playground there yeah <laughs> and then there was another story from the uh, dancers the dancing girls from the step-by-step -step project and keeping time film. We also made a film, um, sort of cross documentary drama with some of the girls in it for real. And them reflecting back on what they were being uh, drilled at, you know, as, as young teenagers and having a, a hearty laugh at themselves. And then, then the woman from the Hoppings who was a fire eater, um, who, who actually got buried alive once in her act oh my and uh, declared dead before she popped up again. And so there's these stories, you know, they're quite 
um, sort of extraordinary stories in a way, but they, they also um, very much about their time, of their time, people re remembering uh, the, the period when they were photographed. And, yeah. But lovely anecdotes. I mean, I love, I love stories anyway, it's just absolutely yeah. love people telling. There, there's such good crack up here in the Northeast. I mean, it's just, it's just ever there. Yeah, and that, that you 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 said once that um, you, you you always reveal yourself in the pictures you take, and I think that 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 comes across. That statement kind of um, makes me think of what you were just saying, and um, you can see that the the stories are important to you. I I was watching one of the Tate Tate shots videos that you did a few years ago earlier, and. Um, you also said something about how you're not interested in making a nostalgic record. Um, if we think of the your your biker series, for example, but you're interested in the real the real value of the image and the kind of here and now. Um, and the stories seem to go hand in hand. And I think quite often you you get a sense of that um, in your books as well that the the pictures are um, accompanied by stories or anecdotes. Um, and you must have you must have so many. I mean, I've know you gave a talk at Stills at the end of last year, and you know we you were keeping us all amused with with so many interesting anecdotes about the pictures. Um, it really comes through in the way you you take the pictures. I think that you're interested in those those stories. Um, and um, how do you 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 studied film initially? Is that right in London, and then you you moved up to Newcastle shortly afterwards, at the end of the sixties? Um, <clears throat> yes, I came to to study filmmaking at the what mm -hmm. was then the Regent Street Polytechnic. Yeah, London. I think it's the University of Westminster now. But you but you um, spent a lot of time in the dark room. Oh sure, the first year was uh, it just become a university, and the first year was like a induction year so we did just photography funnily although i'd come to to study filmmaking um, yeah. but i mean i photography started for me in finland when i was age 12 really as a as a hobby and by the time i was i was 15 i was uh, learning to process and print um, black and white photography mm. and that's what i really wanted to do but at time there wasn't a school for photography in Finland yet. It came very soon after, a couple of years after mm. Helsinki um, University, uh, but not yet. And uh, had there been one, I may well have chosen to, uh, to stay in Finland. Mm. Uh, but filmmaking, I mean films also, you know, it's the other part of me actually. And then when I heard about the uh, Regent Street Polytechnic, I applied mm. and got in and the that's where we actually began uh, AMBA then. The uh, other members of AMBA were already in the final year when I, I started. And um, the, they were coalescing into this idea of working independently. Mm. And uh, I got drawn into this group and became a founder member. And together we then decided to move to the northeast of England because we didn't want to stay on in London, which was full of filmmakers already. And we wanted to 
And uh, it was also because of the background of Murray Martin, who was the um, uh, visionary uh, in the group. He um, had already lived in Newcastle and he came from a working class background, as did uh, ultimately several other members in the group. So it was um, established quite early on that we were interested in the working class communities mm. of the Northeast. And that's where we based ourselves and we would have an ongoing relationship with the communities that we uh, made documents of and with. And um, that basically is still what we do. It, mm -hmm. it, this conversation with the communities and, and um, therefore also this revisiting it becomes possible because people know where to find us and <laughs> and they <laughs> they want to be continue to be part of the story like with the um easington film you can see if you watch the film how very connected the people still are feeling that we are actually uh, giving them a voice now that's the difference yeah. between us and say the press how, what the press put out about minor strike was shocking and mm. also um Generally speaking, even even mainstream television, uh, there's very few uh, authentic voices um, from this region. So that was something that we then uh, could do through our our work. We could um, hear the stories and have them told by them as much as possible, and sometimes dramatizing the more difficult stories. So the the genres kind of moved along with um, with the subjects and and um, the sensitivities and so on mm. um, yeah and some of the the representation you were giving to working class or um, these, these sort of hidden hidden histories people that didn't really have a voice were quite universal and and the I mean I'm, I suppose I know that the Amberside collect the photography collection better, having looked at it for the exhibition we did at Stills. But it struck me immediately that it's it's very international as well. Um, you're that the um, the interest of the collective are how these things that are affecting communities local to you in Newcastle were actually happening in other parts of the world, um, faced with similar issues and. Um, thinking through the photography collection of artists like the work of Susan Mizalis in Nicaragua or Graciela Itabide um, on Yucatan, that um, there's this really interesting sort of mirroring of um, issues that were very close to home um, coming out in the work from sort of all, all over the world. Um, and it seems to sort of make the point that you know, some of these issues are, are universal. Oh, absolutely, they are. And the reason why we actually established Side Gallery in 1977 was that there wasn't really, there wasn't a gallery in Newcastle that was showing photography. Um, and we wanted to, obviously wanted for ourselves to see to have access to the best in, in documentary 
um, in the world. And of course, there weren't that many ways of seeing it. I mean, then you really physically needed to have the pictures up on, on your walls for a period in the gallery. And, and basically to, obviously, to, to open it all for the, for the audiences um, in the region and beyond. Um, and the work that we, we um, were excited by, we're still, um, um, we're still dedicated, or whatever the word is, we're totally um, still uh, within the um, social humanist documentary Mm. photography genre that is what we have uh, we specialize in and what excites us and what we have done ourselves mm. so the work that we brought to Newcastle was really to be part of that dialogue and photographers came with them as a rule and we uh, we got to know them and, and kept in touch and uh, those relationships um, many of them still ongoing mm. um, yeah, the, the issues are the same, of course. They are very, very much the same. I mean, when Baika was being pulled down, a, a lot of the working class communities were being destroyed, not only in this country, but in, in America too. And wherever the film was shown in the world, and it, um, it did travel quite a bit, there were, even in China, uh, mm -hmm. people were still saying, well, this is being done to us. This is, you know, like the... Uh, um, real estate, whatever you call it in cities, you know, the, then working class housing gets uh, condemned as, as slums in quotation marks. And, and then um, it's cleared away for, you know, office, offices or whatever. I mean, what happened in Baika was a new housing project, but it still debatable whether it needed to destroy the old house and whether they could have been just refurbished and, and done up. Um, but yeah, there's this kind of thing of, of sending working class people, dispersing them out of the cities further into the outskirts or whatever. It's, it's, it's a universal yeah. thing. There's, yeah, many, many people in many countries totally uh, have the same stories. Yes, yeah. At that, at that time when SIDE was established, it was, I think you said 1977, it was also when Stills um, was set up. And I know that various exhibitions were toured from SIDE to Stills, including Graciela Itabide, the Yucatan, and um, uh, we, at least one Ouija exhibition mm -hmm. as well. Do you, do you have any memories of Stills from from that time or the 1980s, did you, was there much back and forth of people between Edinburgh and Newcastle? How long have you been there? <laughs> uh, oh gosh, about five and, a half, five and a half years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you were just a baby. <laughs> no, I, I, I wish I could remember. Mm. Uh, can you remember, did I ever exhibit there? I can't remember. I don't, I don't think so, which I find unusual, but I mean, I'd have to, yeah, scour our, our archive, but um, I, th I think when we showed some of your work at the end of last year, I think that was the first time it's been seen at Stills. Wow. But some, some records... I to see it. <laughs> <laughs> some, some records seem to have got a bit, a bit lost when 
you, you know what it's like when paperwork has moved to, to digital oh. and stills is in its third location as well so things have undoubtedly been moved and lost but um yeah. I, I don't know if Graciela Itabide came to Edinburgh actually oh, I doubt she did but she did come to side yeah. she actually uh, we were hosting her for some some uh, a few weeks because she photographed we, she had a little commission from us yes and okay. um, and then she invited me to uh, Mexico yeah exhibit bike in Mexico City and then also sent me and, and another amber, amber um, member Kitty Fitzgerald who is a who was a writer uh, on, on some of our films and, and member of the collective. Two of us uh, where they sent to Yuchitan. Amazing. But yeah. as Graciela's, um, me with a Gracia, Graciela's camera, she actually gave me a camera and said, you must take pictures <laughs> uh, on her orders. And then, then we lived in a, in a grass hut there in the, um, in the community of, um, Zapotec Indians for a, I can't remember it seemed like a lifetime it was so rich <laughs> so rich in experience and and what a revelation about a matriarchal society mm. how it functions and how the collectivity worked there I mean we have been a collective for 50 years at Amber at a totally egalitarian collective sharing all our wages sharing everything um, apart from living in separate houses, but mainly um, my life has been <laughs> in the Amber workshop. I tell you, I haven't lived anywhere else as, as many hours as I have there. And my dark room is still going there and I'm still in, still enjoying printing, etc. Mm. But yes, seeing Yuchitan and, and how the kind of socialism in, in a small contained community, how it works, was very inspirational. Mm. So, yeah, Graciela was a very big influence. I love her work. I just love, love the kind of surrealist feel to her work. And yet she just got right inside the, the customs of the mixture of, uh, of the religions there, which enabled um, the people to have a feast every two weeks. <laughs> Basically, there was a, a special religious um, uh, time to dance and to, and to get off your heads and the women certainly knew how to party my goodness the women knew how to party <laughs> yeah it's it sounds like an do you have any idea if it's still it's still like that it, it's still I, I was reading about it at the end of last year and I remember it that a lot of what they tell you is that they also have an incredible um uh a sort of unusual attitude attitude towards alternative gender roles. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I tell you, this is this is the amazing thing because the women were running the business there. They were running the community. Uh, the little boys grew up thinking to be powerful, you've got to be a woman. Mm. And little boys did dress up as girls. And there was that fusion and total acceptance of uh, whatever gender identity anyone chose to to for themselves and also the kind of gay relationships and everything it was such such a kind of utopia to look at 
at that time. So, and one of the reasons why we turned down the offer by Channel 4 to make a film about it at the time was that we didn't want to blow mm. the cover. We want, didn't want to destroy mm. this uh, uh, society because it wasn't part of the tourist track. It's not Yucatan, it's Yucatan. It's separate. It's the, okay. And it's, um, I, we felt that if we had actually put it on, the, uh, you know, revealed where it is yeah. and what it is, it might have just become inundated by visitors and destroyed. Yeah. Uh, so we decided not to. Yeah, gosh. Are there any other artists and photographers from that time that, that were perhaps brought over to Newcastle that you you particularly remember as you know, being really incredible to meet and must have been amazing to have Martine Frank and Cartier-Bresson. Oh, Cartier-Bresson, yes. We actually uh, celebrated his 70th birthday yeah. in, <laughs> in my flat. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Peter Roberts, we had uh, uh, a flat on the quayside just close to the gallery and, and um, and Cartier-Bresson, we had his um, kind of ret retrospective large exhibition outside and yeah. invited him uh, over and offered him a commission, which he turned down, <laughs> saying he's more interested in painting now. He didn't really oh. want to commit, but he would still take pictures and we could have whatever he takes. And Martin Frank, of course, his wife came and mm. the whole family. <laughs> with the nanny <laughs> and one one of the collective members who only one who had an actual house at the time then housed the uh, Bresson family for two or three weeks and uh, Martin uh, accepted a commission and and photographed for us and mm. and yeah it was amazing to to meet them and to be around them and um, yeah they were very and it was very gracious. He, in the end, when they left, I gave him one of the photographs that uh, his that Martin liked, and then um, Andre turned to me and said, "Now, Circa, you pick any one of my pictures." <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I picked a picture of the um, of the people um, picnicking. In, um, in yeah. Normandy, um, which was the place where I and Peter had our honeymoon. So it was wow. with that connection. And yeah, there it arrived in the post with his uh, personal dedication. So, um, of course, um, Katja Brosen was someone, I didn't in Finland yet know this world of photography. So I didn't know him, I didn't, have this, uh, I knew I was document, a documentarist at heart, but yeah. I didn't have others that I could, could follow until much later. You know, mm. I was already well into the biker project and so on before I got mm. to know the likes of Katia Bresson and, and others in this um, world of documentary photography. And of course, they were huge, hugely inspirational then. Yeah. Mm. And you're still spending a bit of time in the dark room. Oh, I'm returning again in the next week or so. Yes, I'm, I'm mm. printing an exhibition. Um, 
I had just had a show in, in New York with uh, L. Parker Stevenson photographs. Mm. Um, and um, the next one planned is for the Michael Hopin Gallery. But interestingly, what he'll be doing is, is semi-virtual. So there will be real prints and they will be in real frames and they'll be photographed okay. on the walls and then they will be online. So it's, it's a kind of combination of the two because the galleries are still not able to fill them the actual premises at this time and sure. yeah. yeah i think that can work quite well i've 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 visited a few virtual exhibitions and it, it's yeah i think it i think it works quite well we're we're all getting better and better at the the technology that's available to us <laughs> yes yeah. yeah i was just trying to see the impressions gallery show the 3D one and yeah. I couldn't quite get it to work on my computer. But yeah, yeah. the possibilities are, are wonderful, aren't they? Right. Yeah. yeah. Just just visiting Photo London there, which is is all online this year. And yeah, it seems to it seems to work. And and of course there are so many more talks and events online as well. Uh, there's there, it feels like there's a lot more available than there used to be. Um, maybe it's just easier to find now. Um, but um, Serka, we're running out of time a little bit, um, and I've so many questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, I did wonder: Are there any sort of cultural? I wondered if you had any recommendations for sort of cultural reference points or things that you might have been watching or listening to. Um, I quite like to ask people if they have anything to recommend. Of course, now we're sort of semi in lockdown, whereas earlier in the year we were truly in lockdown and people were really looking for things, I think. But um, I wondered if there's anything you that springs to mind. Um, well, there's, there, there's always so many things. It's just trying to remember what you were last excited by. But yeah. I, love, I love physical theatre myself. It's not just photography I'm interested in. It's, it's yeah. many, many other things, and especially dance, which I do uh, myself. And, and something I came across, uh, well, it's still online, uh, was what I thought was just way out wonderful. And it's actually called The Way Out. <laughs> it is, um, it's the kind of one take filming tour through the Battersea Arts Centre, oh, okay. live performances, which was absolutely magical. Oh. Um, just last night, I then watched A Life on Our Planet, the David Attenborough documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And my goodness, you know, if, if you want to know, you know, what, what this pandemic might have done to our souls, I think one thing, one thing certainly makes us feel that we are totally at the mercy um, of nature mm. and who knows pandemic is this pandemic is is kind of one expression of it how we have disturbed the balance mm. and destroyed uh, so much of what our lives depend on and uh, I mean it's a wonderful talk I would say everyone please please watch it mm. because it's not just ending on the um, apocalyptic vision, which is already happening, by the way. Uh, but there are many things we can still do. And I'm definitely going to rush out and plant a tree 
do some guerrilla gardening when I get out of this <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> Find a tree and put it somewhere um, in a public park or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I think that should, that is such a, I think the whole lockdown has been a reminder to myself personally how much I, I need to be in nature and in the sea and yeah. in, in the garden and, and wherever you can access it, um, treasure it and, and then make sure that it, we can rewild the world. Yes. <laughs> well, that's brilliant. That's a, a, a very nice positive note to end on as well. Um, thank you so much, Serka. And um, the, the film you mentioned at the start is starts tomorrow. That's Wednesday. Yes. Wednesday, the 14th of October and runs to Thursday. Seven o'clock, yeah, for 24 hours. <clears throat> and then immediately followed by a discussion online. Okay. On Zoom with um, with the community, make us the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Good. We'll get this. We'll get this episode out as quickly as we can, so people have a chance to to hear about that and to see it. Um, thank you so much for your time. Re been really nice to speak to you, and I hope you get back to the sea very soon. Is um, it the weekend? Did you say you're allowed? Yes, this Saturday I'll be yeah. let loose. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, Sarka. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.